What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. Um, what did you think when you heard uh, today? I, I must have been shocked. That I, I can't say. All I know is when I heard, it's like your heart, your heart just, you know, you can't, it's a, it's a lot. He, he's a very, very, very special person. And the, just to entertain, that talent, this talent like that is only once in, in history, you know. I mean, it didn't matter because he was still the greatest artist who ever lived, you know. John, I mean, you, you, you met him, but just... You know, we look at these videos of Michael Jackson, and we've seen them so many times now that, that it seems natural. But at the time, no one, people hadn't seen people move like Michael Jackson. I mean, he, Michael Jackson did things that it seemed like they hadn't been done before. And he got bigger and bigger and bigger. But, but through Thriller, he was just the superstar, the biggest ever, ever, ever. It's also a level of fame, Emil, that I don't think anyone ha has ever had before. And, you know... I learned how to dance watching Michael Jackson, especially when he would appear on the Ed Sullivan Show. So, Michael Jackson, God bless his soul, and I just hope that people understand that this was a real human being who cared deeply for humanity. If you wanted any proof that the death of Michael Jackson at 50 is a major international news story, then look no further than Times Square, where I'm now surrounded by people from this city, from all corners of the United States, and indeed holidaymakers here from around the world who have come here to look up at the huge television screens that they have in Times Square and the news ticket, the Dow Jones ticker here, one for ABC News just over here, telling the news that Michael Jackson is dead. Michael Jackson made culture accept a person of color way before Tiger Woods, way before Oprah Winfrey, way before Barack Obama. Michael did with music what they let it did in sports and in politics and in television. And no controversy will erase the historic impact. He learned how to sing and dance past unfair criticism. He learned how to sing and dance and be creative against his worst critics. He learned how to create even beyond his own shortcomings. He knew he had shortcomings, but he knew how to build his strengths and use his strengths to help people around the world. We Are The World would not have happened without Michael Jackson. From We Are The World came Live Aid and other things. Michael Jackson was a trailblazer. To say an icon would only give these young people in Harlem a fraction of what he was. He was a historic figure that people will measure music and the industry by. He sold more single products than any other artist, and no one could drag him down for that. His music combined energy and imagination with irresistible beats and bass lines. In all, Michael Jackson's genius would lead to 13 Grammys, 14 number one singles, and record-breaking album sales captivating fans around the world. 
It should be no surprise that so many stars in the Nightline playlist series have called the King of Pop their number one influence. I think it's worth remembering that he was probably, singly, the greatest dancer and musician the world has ever seen. And uh, I think the world has now lost the greatest entertainer it's probably ever known. There's been a real sense of people coming together here at the hospital. They've been shocked and they've been saddened. But while I was in Macy's, and all at once, they kept saying, Michael's dead, Michael's dead. Dropped everything and just came running out here. <laughs> it's like I feel like, I feel like a part of me has died. All his dance moves, his music, even, I still bump his music in the car nowadays. You know, it's, it's a classic, it's something, whenever you put it on, you start rock, bopping your head. But, um, damn, it's sad. I really, damn. He was such a big impact on my life, his dances, his dance routines. His uh, lyrics were so incredible. He was such a serious act. I truly love Michael Jackson, and it is so sad to see that he is gone. I cannot believe it. His legacy lives on beyond music, um, and I think people are going to know Michael Jackson for centuries and centuries. Hundreds of fans are here in Western Los Angeles tonight to remember a music legend. UCLA Hospital, where we are tonight, and this is the following statement. The legendary king of pop, Michael Jackson, passed away on Thursday at 2.26 p.m. It's believed he suffered cardiac arrest in his home. Michael was an amazing person to work with because, for me, he was the teacher. Even though I was brought in to work with them for their staging of their tour. But um, he taught me a lot. What did you learn from him? Oh my gosh. You never let anyone see you sweat. And when you perform, you give everything that you have, every pore of your body, everything that spills out, and the commitment, and it's the rehearsal. The drive that that guy had was unparalleled. I've never seen, I've never seen anyone like that. Let's uh, go back to Thriller, the, uh, the greatest, the greatest selling album of all time. Thriller became huge, and of course, to this day, they're still trying to copy the dance steps and whatever else Michael did at that time. The production of any video still can't beat it. It's amazing because we go all over the world. I mean, everywhere in the world every year. And you hear at 12 o'clock, everywhere in the world, 25 years ago we recorded that record. You hear that record every night at this phone. It's amazing. It blows my mind. Who could ever, uh, uh, Hillary, forget We Are the World, uh, which uh, turned out to not only be one of the most successful videos and songs of all times, but had such a profound effect on so many good causes around the world. It, it really, in many ways, kicked off a movement, um, a, a renaissance. Obviously, in the 50s and 60s, recording artists were quite well known for being um, uh, out there in terms of causes and things like that. And then there was the anti-war movement. It was kind of the first post-Vietnam War effort that recording artists made in a big way for a humanitarian cause. And I think in many ways it, it galvanized a whole series of um, activities against Darfur and against uh, African relief and against um, third world debt. And, and it was really a forerunner to a lot of what Bono was doing. So it, it kicked off a, a, a huge movement. As a performer, he changed history. You know, there's a lot of good singers and there's a lot of good dancers, but it's been said he did so many things so brilliantly. His singing, his songwriting, his choreography, his dancing, his business acumen, 
He rewrote the history of the entertainment industry in his time. And if he was, if he was at his heyday today with the Twitters and the Facebook and the way the media, the metabolism has sped up today, he'd be an even bigger star if that's possible. But for me, after many years in the business, that somebody can sustain a career for 40 years is pretty remarkable. Because I get the privilege of bringing up a man that I grew up on, that I imitate, you see me imitating. This is the man, the greatest entertainer that ever lived. Give it up for the king of pop, Michael distributes grace and mercy and talent to all of his children. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the King Jordan Radio Show for a special Michael Jackson tribute on the 23rd of June, June 23rd, 2014. We have some special guests we're going to bring in in just one second. Just let me get some things out of the way. This show is brought to you by www.jnd.com. A shout-out to Aluna Joe 67 and all the others that helped in uh, making this show what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, our first guest of the evening is our, a former bodyguard of Michael Jackson. You've seen him uh, come through um, when Mike was uh, in court, and uh, that's the man that would uh, walk Mike, and he had a front row seat in the courtroom. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our first guest, Mr. Kerry Anderson. Good evening, Kerry, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Good evening, Jordan. How are you this evening? I'm doing okay. Good. I'm doing uh, fantastic as well. Guest, our next guest is going to co-host the show with us. He is Matt, and uh, he YouTubes about Michael Jackson. He gets all the uh, uh, Michael Jackson facts right, and he joins us now. Good evening, Matt, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. Good, uh, good evening, Jordan. How are you? Excellent. Our next guest has wrote, has written a wonderful book called Redemption, and she's working on a movie. Any misinterpretations of the 93 allegation you will find in that book 
And I'm talking about the one and only making her debut on King Jordan Radio, Miss Geraldine Hughes. Good evening, Geraldine, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Good evening, and thank you for having me. I'm glad to be a part of this beautiful and wonderful show that you Michael. And how's everybody else? Okay, everybody, that's all. Nope. I am fantastic. Okay, Kerry, uh, let me get let let the listeners get a little bio of yourself so they know where you stand with uh, Mr. Jackson. Well, um, I'm I'm sorry, you talking to me, Kerry? If you could give us a little bio of yourself as it relates to MJ, what you did for him, and tell the listening audience, that would be great. Okay, um, I was I was a police officer for uh, Los Angeles Police Department for uh, right at 20 years, and uh, within that I worked a myriad of assignments, uh, gangs, homicide, canine, uh, metro division, and um, I uh, got into when Chief Williams, after the Rodney King uh, incident went down, Chief Williams came in, the first uh, African-American police chief. Uh, I was a member of his security detail, and that's why I got my expertise and skill set in executive protection. After that, uh, you know, one thing led to another uh, with, as regards to my name getting out there and, and uh, me meeting members of the Jackson family, and, and when the Need came in for a person with my expertise. Uh, Randy called on me, and uh, we had a working relationship, Michael and I, and I lived with him uh, right about uh, three and a half, four years uh, in Neverland and in the Middle East and uh, a couple of different other locations, and um, it was an interesting experience. Absolutely, and we'll get more into that. Um I also want to introduce Matt. Uh, say hello, Matt. You are my co-host tonight. Uh, and uh, just in a sub, Matt, before we get into everything, uh, tell us where you stand with the Wade Robson situation. Oh, boy. Uh, the Wade Robson situation is very interesting. I feel that um, a lot of facts are being overlooked, very obvious facts. I mean, it was stated that, for example, that in order for him to even get his hearing, they, they have to believe that he didn't know that Michael had an estate until 2009, or sorry, 2011, despite the fact that he worked on the Opus in 2009. Plus, there was talk about him being on MJ1 in early 11, in uh, 2011. So that alone means that he shouldn't even get his hearing. Absolutely. Interesting. Now, Geraldine, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, the book. Okay, I'm, um, I was a legal secretary in 1993. I worked with Barry Rothman. Barry Rothman was Evan Chandler's attorney. And while I worked for him, I was an eyewitness to, to what I call the extortion scheme that they launched against Michael. When, they first, when Evan first came to my attorney, he didn't come to him about issues of molest- his child being molested. He was, they were plotting to get money from the very beginning. Evan wanted to make a movie, another movie. He had already contributed to one movie. He wanted to make another, and he needed $20 million. And I believe I witnessed on the inside, what I witnessed was the extortion. It had absolutely nothing to do with 
um, Jordy being um, molested or anything. It was it was a scheme that was plotted, that was planned, that was executed. And I just decided after I did come forward and talk with the investigators early on, I didn't, you know, a lot of people think I came later on. No, I came right as soon as it hit that that's what they were doing, and I knew it was otherwise, but um, I came forward with that information. But when Michael settled the case, all the information that was collected, it never came out. And I decided in 1997, I decided to put, uh, to write the book. The book that I wrote is called Redemption, the truth uh, behind the Michael Jackson child molestation allegation, and it's the untold story about the extortion against Michael Jackson that launched the false allegations. Absolutely. Absolutely, indeed. And uh, let me ask the uh, panel, it's a very big debate. Uh, well, there's two debates. Uh, first of all, the estate put out a scape. I want to go to you, Kerry, first on this. Uh, what do you feel about the estate bringing out music from Michael Jackson? Good, bad, what's your opinion? Uh, in terms of, you know, new music, uh, pre-recorded music, I, I don't understand your question. Right. Right, like Tupac. Oh, I don't... Pre-recorded um, music. I don't know. I don't really have. I never really thought about it. Uh, I love Michael's music, and I think the world loves his music. Um, I think if anything that does ha- does not have a motive of love and it has a motive of money making and you know ill-gotten gain, I- I'm against that. And I don't know all the intricacies of it, but you know, if, if as long as the motive is love and spreading his music and spreading his love, and uh, I think it's okay. Uh, Matt, what's your thoughts on the Escape album? Was it a good idea, bad idea, and if so, why? I think it's a good idea, but it obviously has negative aspects to it. I mean, it's blatantly obvious we know that Michael Jackson did not like Sony. Even despite the fact that he did um, sign a new contract with Sony in 2007, people do say it was forced upon him and he didn't want to do it, but he had to for Throw 25. But even if we overlook that, I think Sony actually did try hard with the with the Escape album after they kind of messed up with uh, the Michael album. I think they put in genuine effort. They brought in people who Michael worked with in the past. I think that it brought back, um, you know, a lot of memories. You know, the, uh, the younger generation is now hearing him. Like, there's, there's a lot of people who aren't even really fans, but they love the, the Escape album. So, you know, it's keeping his legacy alive, and I support that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Mrs. Geraldine Hughes, what's your thought on Escape, the new album that came out uh, shortly? Um, I, I think it's a good thing right now. You know, now that we, you know, a lot of us are past the initial shock of losing Michael. A lot of us are past the pain of losing him. And now it's about basically, like was said a few moments ago, we do need to protect his legacy. We have a lot of music that was <laughs> And I think that, you know, we got, you know, it's about his estate, which, you know, his children are heirs to, and just keeping, you know, keeping the legacy of keeping the life, keeping the, the magic, keeping the music uh, of Michael Jackson, is, is, is that's the life of him now. And, I, you know, I'm for that. I, you know, I, I agree with what was said even about, you know, you know, controversy about Sony, but right now it's really all about Michael's legacy. 
It's true. And, you know, despite the fact that people say, oh, Sony wants money, but the thing is, they're a business. That's how it is. They have to make money. They're a business. That's what it really comes down to. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you bring up the state is all about, too. The estate is all about making money for his heirs, which are his children. Absolutely. Now, uh, Kerry, uh, you uh, spent a lot of time with uh, Michael Jackson, and since we are in the uh, fifth year, uh, can you kindly share a uh, story to the many listeners out there tonight? Oh, wow. Yeah, there's several stories. I mean, you know, living with someone so closely when I... Uh, first uh, met him, it appeared he was so vulnerable and and it, it appeared that uh, he didn't trust a lot of people and it kind of made me uncomfortable, but uh, the way his brother spoke up for me, Randy, he was the initial one who, you know, brought me in to Michael. Um, I just knew I had to be just very honest with him and, and up front. And, and I think once we met, we sat down and talked, I met the kids and uh, Michael and I talked for about two hours. And uh, initially it was with myself, Michael, and Randy, and uh, then it was just Michael and I, and uh, it worked out great. We had a, uh, you know, an amazing relationship. Uh, I got to know him as a person, and I think one of the things that that, uh, helped our relationship is I didn't, I wasn't all just in awe and awestruck over Michael. I looked at him as a person, uh, a human being. And uh, we talked about our families. Uh, you know, he was very inquisitive about, you know, my wife and daughter. And uh, it was just a, it was a great working relationship. Uh, I know that I had an uphill battle, and, and um, I just knew with the power of God and, and what I knew in terms of my skill set that it, it would work out, and it, it, it ultimately did. But as far as individual stories, I mean, there, there's countless uh, stories uh, from Christmas uh, to practical joking, to, uh, you know, so many rumors and, and uh, stereotypic notions that, that I even had about Michael just based on listening to the media and all of that, especially when I knew that there was uh, a chance for me having an opportunity to work with him. Uh, he was just a normal guy, uh, and he, he dispelled a lot of things that I had preconceived notions about him, you know, uh, he's crazy about girls. Uh, very respectful, uh, very loving, uh, very soft-spoken, very shy, and uh, what a practical joker, you know. But yes, that's what he, I heard. That's what I heard. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh he yeah. Was a big, Frank. He loves What's that, Frank. Geraldine? Pardon? Oh, that was okay, me. I, I, I said that Michael loves Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, another was... thing is that... Go ahead, Terry, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay, I wanted to talk about another, uh, uh, I guess, issue some Michael Jackson fan had, and that was the hologram. And, uh, Matt, I want to go to you first on this issue. Uh, give me the pluses and the minuses of that hologram, and what do you think of it? Well... <laughs> The hologram, well, it's rumored that it was performed by Ernest Valentino, the MJ impersonator, and based on his movements, it most likely was because, for example, like the toe stand, him pointing to his feet, 
only Ernest does that. Michael has never done that during a toe stand. It made the movements, and the moonwalk was terrible. Um, the face was different, but that was they they actually uh, digitally remastered the face, but not from the neck down. As far as the idea goes, however, I do support it. I think it was a great idea. It definitely brought back, you know, memories. It was, in, you know, a new routine. People loved it. In fact, the non-fans liked it more than the fans did. So, I mean, as far as worldwide, you know, reaction, people la- people loved it. But I guess the fans didn't because they're comparing it to how Michael Jackson was for real on stage, you know, and it was a big difference, honestly. But the idea and the actual performance itself, I really enjoyed it, and I think it was a good idea you know, despite the minor mistakes. Absolutely. Uh, Geraldine, what was your thoughts on that hologram? Did you see it? I did. Um, I thought it was kind of creative on their part, and, you know, just, you know, just the thought that they would think to do that, that we would really embrace it. But it, for me, it was a little... I, I want to see. I want to see the real Michael. I don't mind seeing things that he's already done, his past videos... And I think I would have been, you know, but with the new music, you know, I guess they were trying to be creative with that. But for me, I just, I would rather just see the real Michael, you know, in past videos. And I I would hope that they would, you know, bring that forward as opposed to trying to recreate, you know, because I don't know, that just brings, I think trying to recreate Michael, knowing that he's gone, it just brings, uh, you know, a lot of people are having a hard time dealing with that, you know. But I don't have a hard time dealing with watching a video that he actually did when he was here, you know. Absolutely. Uh, Kerry, uh, what's your thoughts on the hologram? Well, I, I don't know. I, I looked at the uh, reaction of people that were in the audience, and uh, I only saw it from the news, but uh, they seemed to have enjoyed it thoroughly. And um, I think there's only going to be, you know, with the people that really knew him, personally knew him, and some of his fans did, and, you know, uh, some of the fans will never uh, like anything like that. They want the real Michael. Uh, but, you know, I looked at the reaction of, of the people. The people really enjoyed it. And I think what Matt said is that, you know, some of the, the people that didn't really know him are, are not the old-time fans. They didn't really care for it, but, but some of the newer fans did. You know, I'm like, what, whatever, uh, if technology can you know, uh, put his face up there and, and do a good show, then, then that's cool. Uh, with regards to the impersonators, I really don't know all the intricacies of, you know, who it was or how the hologram was done. But I, the part that I saw, I enjoyed it. I talked to my wife. She thoroughly enjoyed it. So I, I think I got Absolutely. kind of like yeah, no views on it. There was actually even rumors. I'm not sure if it was the estate or if it was a fan rumor, but they're even talking about putting the hologram out to do an entire worldwide tour. And I think that's a good idea for fans who never saw him live. Like, like me, I never saw him live. So, you know, a worldwide tour of the hologram would actually be kind of cool, you know, to see it, like, straight up, even though it's a hologram. But if they do it, I would want them to do it correctly. You know, I want the, I want the dance moves done right. You know, I want the entire feel of Dangerous Tour and Bad Tour and History Tour. I don't want something just thrown up on a screen and, you know, done by an impersonator or done very weak, you know? Yeah. Absolutely right. You uh, bring a, a very good point up. Okay, uh, we're going to go to the phones now. If you do have a question, please shut your computer off so we don't echo A. And B, you can call back to speak to Tom Mesero after. So uh, let's go to the phone. Let's go to uh, 314. Please state your name, 
And where you're calling from? Three one four. It's your turn. Go ahead. Three one four. You're on. Okay. Let's try somebody else. Let's go over to area code six six one. That should be Callie. Uh, state your name and where you're calling from. Six six one. Okay. Let's try another call. Um, let's go out to another 314. 314, it's your turn. Please state your name and where you're calling from. Oof, I might have something wrong with these phones. Let's see. Let's go out to, I know who this one is, uh, 787. I believe this is Daniel from Puerto Rico. Daniel, is that you? Yes, can you hear me? There we go. Yes, hello. Hi. Uh, Hi, everyone. Nice to hear you again, Jordan. Uh, Hi, Matt. I think Matt knows me. Oh, hello. Yes, I think I've seen you on Twitter. Yes. We spoke uh, a while ago, too, on uh, webcam uh, with Natalie. Yes, I recall. That was was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Um... Okay, well, you have a question. Well, not a question per se, because I was uh, waiting for Tom, but did you say we can or we can't call back when he comes on? You absolutely can. You want to you oh, okay. comment? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I just um, wanted to know about the current thing with, um, with his... Uh, it's the thing with Wade Robson and James, now James Safechuck, who are adding their thing. He's his own, um, he's trying to join him on this lawsuit he's doing. And I, uh, and Matt is pretty well aware of this too. I think the people in the community have done a good job at breaking down what it is they're trying to say. I want to go to uh, Geraldine on that one. Geraldine, did you hear? That uh, another accuser came forward by the name James Sachuk, and what's your thoughts? I'm sorry, I didn't, I couldn't hear you. It's, it's not, I'm having a, a problem hearing you. Give me the question again. Okay, we have um, a, another accuser came forward. Another accuser came forward named Jimmy Sachuk. Did you hear okay. about this? No, I haven't heard about the new accuser, no. But I, okay. I will. Matt, these accusers coming forward all of a sudden. I think right now it's all about money because if they can, you know, they know that there's a, there's a a lucrative estate right now. And, you know, Michael is not here to defend himself. And they're just coming out of the out of the woodwork now. Why didn't they come forward while he was alive when he could defend himself? Right now, they're just taking aim at the estate right now. Absolutely. Okay, Daniel, uh, you're going to call back uh, when Tom comes in? Oh, yes. I'm going to keep you on hold? Okay, Okay. great. thank you. Uh, I do want to also go to the panel and uh, ask the panel uh, where they were when they heard that MJ passed uh, in June... 25 years ago. Let's start with you, Geraldine. 
uh, where um, were you when you got the news? When you got the news of Michael Jackson? I was actually on my way to, I have a, a, a homeless ministry down on Skid Row. I was on my way there, and, and people just started calling me out of nowhere. And I was like, you know, getting ready to go and do this ministry work. So I didn't have any details. I called their publicist, um, who I knew very well. She had, she was on her way down to the hospital. She didn't have any information. And so she was like, I'm on my way there now, you know, to find out what is going on because a lot of people in Michael's camp don't believe the hype. They don't believe the media. They, you know. And then uh, I did get it confirmed while I was down there doing the ministry work. And I finished. I just had to finish. I had to keep focus on what I was doing around. But when I finished around 11 o'clock p.m., I called Joe Jackson. I got, you know, and I, Joe, usually getting him late, that late is kind of hard. But Joe picked the phone up when I called him. And I just, you know, I heard a voice that I had spoken to Joe many times over the phone. I didn't recognize his voice at that time because I think for the first time I heard him sounding very grievous and, you know, and I just got a chance to just, you know, tell Joe that, you know, offer my condolence to Joe and, um, you know, and, and pretty much that's, that's how I found out and what I did when I found out. I just wanted to speak to someone in the family to confirm it, you know, to confirm that the report in the news media was actually accurate. No question about that. How about you, Carrie? Jordan, I was actually in um, a place called Al-Qut, um, Iraq, and I was working over uh, on an armed forces um, base. And uh, I think it was early, very early in the morning, because I remember um, maybe 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, when I got the news, I heard it actually on the radio, uh, and you know I really like okay that's just another rumor because I had heard that rumor uh, at least two or three times prior to that, and uh, I just thought that it was people talking. And then uh, I met a friend of mine came in and asked me. They just asked me. They said, "Carrie, are you okay?" And I said, okay, what do you mean am I okay? And they said, well, you just, didn't you hear that Michael Jackson passed? I said, well, I just heard something like that about 30 minutes ago on the news, but it hadn't been confirmed at the time. And they, she told me that, well, yeah, it's been confirmed now. CNN is reporting it, and it's been on CNN. And it's like, oh, my God. And it just, it really didn't hit me right then because I still was like, no, that is, this is not true. And then the following morning when I, you know, uh, turned the TV on and just just got blasted, blown out of the ocean, and, and yeah, I really felt bad. It, it really was a grieving time for me as well, you know, and uh, it was terrible. But I was not able to reach out to the family or anything like that to confirm anything because, you know, uh, we, we're talking several thousand miles away and uh, different time zones and everything and I just it, it was just a terrible time but that's where I was in uh, somewhere near Baghdad Iraq oh my oh my uh, what about you Matt 
my story was actually somewhat similar. I was actually at work, and I'd heard on the radio, like inside the store I was working at, at the time, they were saying that, oh, Michael was in the hospital and having trouble breathing. And at first, I thought the same thing. It was just another tabloid because, you know, this is it was coming up, and they were just trying to, you know, screw around with them. But at the time, like, a whole people, a bunch of people were calling me, asking me if I was okay. And I was like, well, this, you know, they're just making this up. But I had a couple of friends check CNN for me because I usually trust CNN, not like Fox News or something like that. But and then when they check, when they checked that, they had um, clear, they verified on CNN that it actually did happen. And I couldn't even work. I was so upset. And I had a friend pick me up. They drove me home, and it was just terrible day. Like I, like it actually hit me quite quickly. I, you know, a lot of fans kind of kind of felt like shocked at first, but I was immediately, I, I was like, I just started crying. I bawled my eyes out and like for, a, you know, for a week I was just so torn. I couldn't even believe it. Uh, it was definitely unbelievable. Um, okay. Uh, the next thing I want to ask is, uh, I'll start with Geraldine because I know you worked on the 93 and, uh, the question is, uh, what did you think of the 2005 case and the uh, complaint then? And the what? The Just last part? I heard the... And, and the uh, accuser. Um, what my, your my, feelings, my feelings on the 2003 case, it never should have taken place. That when, the, when we got to the end of that trial, we found out that Tom Snedden really did not have enough credible evidence to even arrest Michael in the first place. We believe that he just did that to humiliate him and to just, you know, uh, take him through the ringer. He was really trying to, you know, put him away, but um, the 93 case was a lot more, uh, you know, they were so clever how they planned it. They were skillful in their planning, in their execution, and... The 93 case was a little bit more put together a lot better than the 2003. These were just imbeciles, you know, that were trying to make money, and there were so many uh, loopholes, but it all boiled down to, to the, uh, a zealous prosecutor. So in my opinion, 2003, it shouldn't have never taken place. It was just it was a, a waste of a lot of taxpayers' money. You know, this man had a, obviously had a vendetta against Michael, and his whole thing was to just tell, if he if he knew in his mind he didn't have the evidence to uh, to um, uh, uh, get a conviction on Michael, he did it just to humiliate him. And I think that you know for nothing to have been done about that, I think because a lot of those charges they were bogus anyway, you know. And I just think that something should have been done about a prosecutor who would bring these charges, unfounded charges, just to harass and maliciously to harass someone. I was actually going to ask, like, how... I actually had a question about that. Do you think that Snedden should be thrown in jail for, you know, falsifying evidence and wasting taxpayers' dollars? He should be. I don't know why they're not. I know that uh, uh, Mr. Wagner, he's, you know, he's keeping petitions going. He should be because Michael wasn't the only one he do he has done this to. You know, there was a gentleman by the name of Dunlap, Gary Dunlap, who was a, an attorney, and something uh, was Sned uh, went after him, did the same thing, put about ten charges on him, 
and and he had to go to court and fight it, but he won. Mr. Dunlap won, and he came back and told everybody what he did. That these they, he did the same thing uh, to Michael. You know, there's there's something wrong when a prosecutor can practice uh, illegal uh, prosecution or you know practice law illegally. What he's doing, what he did to Michael, was wrong, and he should be held accountable, in my opinion. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I want you to uh, plug your book before you before we let you go, because it's a wonderful okay. book. It's Geraldine Hughes' Redemption, and you are working on a movie. Right. So, uh, Redemption. Uh, go ahead and give out the info. We released Redemption in 2003, for those think, who think that I just came out with this book. <laughs> we released it in 2003. <laughs> I have been fighting for Michael's innocence. My whole thing is to tell the truth about what happened. And right now that we've lost Michael, you know, my goal right now is to make sure, just like the world was informed about the lie, we want to make sure that the world knows the truth now. So we're actually... Uh, in the process of uh, making a movie, we're in the very we're in pre-production stage. Well, you know, it's a lot that we still have to do, but uh, we're trying to uh, make the movie of Redemption so that it can go worldwide in everybody's language. And but the movie is going to be called Michael Gate. And uh, if you wow. want to purchase, you know, it's going to take. We're looking next year to August 2015 before we're you know we'll be able to be close to release. But for those that would like to read the book, the book is available on Amazon.com. I also have, if you go to my Facebook, you'll also, there's a link that will take you straight to um, where you can purchase it. So I encourage everybody to read it because there's information in my book you've never heard. One of the number one questions that people were asking me as I was traveling and promoting it was why did, they thought he was, most people thought Michael was guilty because he settled. And they said, well, if you're, innocent you don't settle and i and what people don't know about that settlement is michael never paid that settlement that settlement was paid by his insurance company not one dime of that money came out of michael's pocket and that blows that's that whole big, theory but that blows that whole theory out the water you know but the book is full of stuff that you've never heard because you never heard about the extortion that was the real issue it had nothing to do with child molestation so a lot of people are, are really shocked to find out the truth because the truth hasn't been told you haven't heard the real story and the real story is it was an extortion scheme against michael the child molestation was just to ruin him because he refused to pay them the 20 million dollars can I ask one quick question, please? Uh-huh. Go right ahead. I'm curious, about, I'm curious about your thoughts regarding Jordan Chandler's drawing. Have you ever seen uh, it? The, the, suicide, the so-called suicide thing? No, no, the no, drawing that Jordan... Jordan's drawing the genital picture. The, the drawings of the genital pictures were not a match. Is that accurate? It was not a match. That's why... See, and that's another thing people need to know. Michael was never uh, he was never indicted in '93 because they could they didn't have a, they didn't all they had was the word of of Jordy. That was it. They didn't have nothing else to corroborate 
uh, uh, with him. And if they did, they would have because they had four different agencies that were going that were investigating. They had uh, Santa Barbara Sheriff, LAPD, LA, Los Angeles Sheriff, LAPD, and we later found out that the FBI even did a probe. They didn't have enough to even arrest him in '93. And everything wow. that was going back then was a plot. So I'm I'm suspect of anything that he was doing. But I think if it was a match, that that would have given them something. But the fact that they didn't indict him and they never arrest, you know, brought him up on charges on that, that shows that they had nothing. It had nothing to do with the settlement. The settlement was civil. We was this was a criminal investigation. Yeah, and also during those times, the FBI had also followed Michael for years, and they found nothing, absolutely nothing. They found nothing. And if Michael was truly, I will end by saying this, if Michael Jackson was a child molester, he would not have walked out of the courtroom in 2005 because that prosecutor did. They did unprecedented things. I've never heard of them bringing in a case. They brought in the witnesses from from uh, uh, 93, even though he wasn't even indicted, that he was never indicted on that, you know. And then it, it was just, uh, you know, they did stuff with Michael that was unprecedented, had never been done before. The legal profession was in an upraise because when you do things, you, you, you establish a precedent. A lot of people were really angry with some of the things that they, that, that uh, Sneddon actually did trying to convict Michael that time around, but he still was unsuccessful. And the reason he was unsuccessful is because Michael Jackson was not a child molester. He was the victim of an extortion scheme. Well, and Matt, you can read all about it. I insist on getting the book. Geraldine and Matt, I want to thank you guys for joining us for the first half of the show. I uh, hope you guys will come thank back again. Thank you so much. Thank and you thank so you much. Thank you, Geraldine. We will have you again, definitely. Okay, Geraldine? Thank you, Geraldine. Look forward to meeting you. You too. Thank you so oh, much. Absolutely. Okay. Take care, Ms. Geraldine, and definitely get her book. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. And uh, right now we're just waiting for Mr. Tom Medoro to call in. And, Kerry, uh, uh, I enjoyed the show so far. <laughs> oh, I think it's it, it's great. I, I'm uh, just listening to, to some of the dialogue here. One of the things that Matt asked with regards to uh, Tom Stetton, Snedden being prosecuted for wasting taxpayers' money, I don't know if that's a crime, but uh, he definitely, okay, uh, if they prosecuted let me, uh, let me introduce, uh, ladies and gentlemen, he is our featured guest of the evening. He is one of the top lawyers in the world. He was just honored for one of the pro bono things he does. Ladies and gentlemen, the biggest, the most talented, successful lawyer in America, Mr. Tom Mesereau. Good evening, Tom. Well, Welcome back to King Jordan Radio. Well, hi, Jordan. Thank you for that uh, rather uh, large introduction. I hope I can live up to it. Good to talk to you again. <laughs> Kerry's here. He's hanging foot. But uh, hey, Tom, how are you? Good to hear from you. Listen, before we say anything else, I want you to know that uh, that Kerry was in the courtroom for every day of Michael Jackson's criminal trial in 2005. I had a chance to observe. I had a chance to observe him uh, before court began, during court, and afterwards. And I've never seen a more professional, loyal, dedicated. 
uh, individual uh, when it comes to Michael Jackson's security than Terry Anderson. He was an absolute tribute to his profession. Uh, he was honorable. He was loyal. He was just dedicated to support Michael Jackson. And I want all the fans who are listening to know what a wonderful man Terry Anderson is. Well, I appreciate that, Tom. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You know, Lloyd, Michael Jackson had a lot of people in his life who turned on him, betrayed him, manipulated him, used him, betrayed his confidences. It made him, uh, in many ways, very lonely because he didn't know who to trust. But one person he always could trust was Kerry Anderson. And, if he, and Kerry's somebody I trust, too. So I want to make sure he gets his due. Uh, I saw him the entire six months I lived up in Santa Maria, California, and this man really was a true professional. Okay, we got some phone calls uh, on the way. Let's go out to area code 787. Please tell me your name and where you're calling from. Your turn. 787. Hi. Um, yes, this is uh, Daniel again. Um, hi, hello, Tom. Daniel Puerto Rico. Uh, this, yeah. Hi. Hi, Tom. It's good to hear from you again. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Well, I guess I just wanted to um, start by just asking um, just uh, about what what are your thoughts on the latest accuser, James Safechuck? Well, uh, as you can already guess, <clears throat> I'm outraged by it. Um, it's just another attempt, in my opinion, to get a bunch of money by someone who's made statements for years that Michael never you know, improperly touched him, never did anything illegal, never did anything criminal, never sexually abused him. This person, as I recall, made statements like that for years. And all of a sudden, you know, years after Michael's death, to jump on a lawsuit and change his story completely, like Wade Robson did, uh, leaves a very bad feeling in me. Um, I think it's just an outrage. Uh, I hope these lawsuits get defeated. I have my doubts, however, as I've said before, uh, what the lawyers who are handling them are going to do, because if you really look back in history, in 93, uh, Howard Weitzman was Michael Jackson's lawyer. He signed the settlement agreement. He appeared at the news conference, the press conference, with Larry Feldman, the plaintiff's lawyer, to announce that they had settled. Um, John Branca was not Michael Jackson's litigator in the suit, but he was his business lawyer and uh, an advisor. And then a couple of years later, uh, these people were around, as I recall, when the Jason Francia case was settled. And a law firm that settled those suits uh, was a law firm that Weitzman had been a partner with, Catamuchin. So the history that these lawyers have uh, when it comes to molestation allegations against Michael Jackson, is not a very strong one. They've never been willing to go to trial and win these molestation cases. Now, you, you fast forward to the present. Uh, the lawyer representing Robson and Safechuck is a very, very good plaintiff's lawyer. Uh, Mr. Gradstein is one of the best in Los Angeles. He's very smart, very aggressive, and is very, has been very successful. I think Gradstein knows the history of Weitzman and Branca and the Cat and Muchen law firm. And I think he's salivating because if this case isn't thrown out by a judge, I think 
Radstein believes these people will pay money like they always have in the past. And I might add one other thing. The Cat and Muchen firm were part of my defense team when we were heading towards trial in 2005, and they quit the team, you know, not long before the trial started. Um, hmm. Now, uh, you'd have to ask them what their reasons were, but uh, I don't think they thought we were going to win. But, you know, you'd have to ask them what their reasons are. I don't know particularly. All I'm telling you is that Henry Gradstein is a smart lawyer, and this is a very creative lawsuit he put together to try and sue Michael Jackson years after he's dead. Um, but I think he's looking I think he's looking across the courtroom at Weitzman and Branca and the lawyers representing the estate, and I think he's salivating because he doesn't think they're the, they have the courage to try a case like this after the settlements they entered into in the past. So that really bothers me. But, you know, these allegations are a complete outrage. They're a, they're a, they make a mockery of the legal system. They make a mockery of the truth. And they really, really upset me. But, um, Gradstein, aren't they, isn't that law firm deal, don't they deal with contracts mainly? What, because yeah, I was reading that. So, and it doesn't, and if that's true, what, why are they dealing with a child abuse case? That's not exactly their. No, um, my understanding is. Land, you know, I haven't been following the case very closely. I haven't been looking at the documents that are filed. But if it's the if it's the Gradstein that I know, uh, he's a very accomplished trial lawyer, and he knows what he's doing. And ah. you know, I think he's uh, he needs to be up against strong people who are willing to try this kind of case and beat them. And I don't know if the lawyers representing the estate are of that caliber. I don't think they have that reputation because of those settlements. Well. I have hope that they will not settle. I mean, I think Branca and Weitzman and um, McLean are fully aware of how that first settlement um, really impacted Michael's image negatively. I mean, if they really wanted to settle with Robson, they could have done it when he first came out because Robson tried to originally, when he came out with his case, he tries to file it under seal, keep it <coughs> keep it quiet, which goes against his claim that he's doing it to speak up and speak the truth, where if you actually read his documents, you'll find out that he tried to keep everything quiet. So if they really wanted to settle, they could have done it then. So I well, admire them for the I don't fact know, I don't that... Ex- I, don't, I don't agree with you. I think if they had offered to settle then, they would have looked so weak that the number would wow. have been astronomical. I think they had to you know, issue the press releases they did, and they had to fight it. But my concern I, is that if a judge doesn't throw it out, they may try to settle it confidentially, because I don't think they I, have the guts to try it. Well, I mean, the burden of proof is on Robson and Seychuk. You know, at the moment, the estate doesn't have to do anything. It's all on them. So I guess you're right. The, the moment of truth will be when the judge decides if this case goes forward or not. Yeah, I hope but, I'm wrong. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they get a judge to throw it out as being filed too late. Um, uh, but so far, that hasn't happened. And again, I'm not following the case closely. And maybe these lawyers will, uh, you know, get some uh, some courage and actually be willing to try it. But I think that if a judge doesn't throw it out, I think Branca and Weitzman, like they did in the past, are going to pay money in a confidential settlement to get rid of it. Remember, it's not their money that they're paying. It's the estate's money. 
And I think they'll be too afraid that they might lose. They'll be too afraid about the publicity coming out of a trial. And I think they'll do just like they did in 93. Um, I'm told that they're trying to blame it on Johnny Cochran, that they're telling other people it was Johnny's idea. But Weitzman, Weitzman signed the agreement. It's on the Internet. Uh, I know someone that has an original copy, and he appeared at the press conference. And although Branko wasn't, you know, a litigator at the time, Branko was advising Michael. And I know Randall Sullivan in his book reports that Branko didn't think Michael physically could, could handle a trial and emotionally could handle a trial. Again, I wasn't around at that time. I don't know exactly what, what happened, but... I don't know. I, I just I just fear that uh, they're going to want to pay money, throw it under the rug like they did before, and uh, it could be a disaster. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to 416. Let's go out to Canada, and Matt joins us. Matt, you're on. Oh, uh, hi, Jordan. I was just listening to Tom there. <laughs> I should actually be off by now, but I really just wanted to say to Tom, um, you know, it's a real honor to speak to you, even for a minute. I just want to say that Thank you for everything you did for Michael. Honestly, to me, you are a true American hero. Thank you so much for everything, Tom. Well, thank you for your kind comments. I really appreciate it. And you're very nice to call and say that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. You too. Absolutely. Okay, let's go out to area code 787. Please state your name and where you're calling from. 787, it's your turn. Hello? Oh, yep. I'm. I... Oh, no. Let's go to 706. 706, please state your name and where you're calling from. 706, it's your turn. Okay. Let's try 31. Let's try a 661. 661, it's your turn. Three one four, Missouri. It's your turn. What's your name? You're on. Hi, uh, my name is hey, Loretta. What is your name, dear? Loretta. Okay. Talk a little down. And where are you calling from? St. Louis, I would say. Yes, yes, I am. Okay, and please mute your computer because it echoes. You have a question for Tom? Uh, yes, I just um, also also want to just um, comp, uh, give him a compliment uh, concerning Michael because he's always been so loyal. And every time I listen to your show, King John, when you have Tom Mitchell, he's always just been so straightforward, and he's always been there to defend Michael. And I just wanted to say I appreciate him as well. Well, thank you so much. You're very, very kind. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. And, okay. And also, um, to piggyback on the, uh, when you were talking about the case, I don't, I don't understand law well, but so how could they um, take these um, these uh, these um, acquisitions to court and, the, and he's no longer around? How, who's, who's, the, who's there to defend him? Well, I think it's a very creative move by the, the lawyers representing Robinson and Safeco. I mean, it's a very creative move. And, you know, I'm not in the case. I'm not studying the case carefully. I'm not watching the court file. But in, re- in recent years, the uh, the time you have to sue for trial molestation 
has gradually been lengthened. And you're seeing many civil cases and criminal cases where young people are suing for things that happened years before. And uh, sometimes uh, they, the, the, the people suing are claiming that they, they, they were damaged psychologically, uh, they, they had repressed memory or something like it, uh, they were living in denial, and they couldn't face it. And the law has been giving them a lot of latitude, a lot of flexibility to file suits late. Um, I haven't heard of a suit filed against the state of someone who passed away quite like that. But I would think they're trying to make use of these more liberal rules and go after an estate based on the fact that they'll probably claim they were traumatized or they, they were unable to face reality or they were denying reality, et cetera, and they'll probably have psychologists and psychiatrists uh, working with them in that regard. Okay, so it's based on the physical and not, like, say, per se, like, per paperwork evidence or anything that's based on their state of mind? Yes, yes. I mean, there there are people who were abused. Uh, there are adults who were abused when they were children. You've seen that abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. Uh, yeah. And many, many people who were abused and lived in denial. They didn't want to they didn't want to admit it. They didn't want to face it. And the law is becoming more flexible for them. Uh, laws have been changing in many states give them a much longer amount of time to file a lawsuit. So I have to assume that that's what Robson's lawyer and Safeguard's lawyer are doing. Okay, I understand. Okay, thank you so much, Tom. Have you two have a nice night. You too. Nice talking to you. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for the call. And, uh, yeah, Tom, everybody's interested with these uh, allegations. And we just did have Geraldine Hughes, who wrote the book uh, Redemption. And uh, she has a lot of good stuff as it pertains to Michael's innocence in regards to the 93 charge. Yeah, no. she's been a very, uh, very loyal supporter of Michael. And when I was preparing to defend Michael in his criminal case in 2004-2005, I did read her book, and she had some very helpful, some some information that was very helpful to me uh, in preparing uh, to defend what the prosecutors were going to throw at us. And uh, I was getting every book I could find about Michael's life, about uh, these false allegations and trying to arm myself in advance of trial, and her book was very helpful to me. She's been very loyal to Michael Jackson. Absolutely. Okay, let's go out to area code 571. Please state your name and where you're calling from. 571, it's your turn. Hi, uh, my name is Christina. I'm from uh, Virginia, and I just wanted to say hello to Mrs. Hi. I wanted to say hello to Mrs. Hughes and uh, Mr. Mazzaro, and I wanted to thank you for all the wonderful work you guys have been doing. Well, thank you um, <laughs> I followed the 2005 case, and I've read a little bit, but I'm just wondering how will the testimony from the 2005 case factor into the civil suit, or does it factor at all? It does factor in. Uh, I called Wade Robson as my first witness to start our defense case. And as I've said before in some interviews, when you decide to put on a defense case, 
what you don't have to do uh, in a criminal case in the United States, the prosecution has to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, and the defense can, you know, decide to put on witnesses or not put on witnesses, just like a, a defendant can testify or choose not to testify. But I decided we had to put on a defense case because I did not want to, you know, the possibility of a hung jury and Michael having to go to trial again, and I decided to put on our own case. And when you do that, you want to certainly start strong and end strong. And I started with one of our strongest witnesses, Wade Robson. He was adamant that he had not been inappropriately touched. He had not been molested. He was very supportive of Michael. And um, I called Wade. I called his mother. I called his sister. They were all positive about Michael Jackson. And so when he came out with this change in, in, you know, in attitude, I was just shell-shocked. I couldn't believe it. But the, the answer to your question is that testimony is going to be very important in that case. Uh, just like his statements on television where he gave some interviews and said Michael had never touched him and that the, you know, the allegations were ridiculous. All of those can be used to impeach him and to contradict him in trial. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was just wondering about that because just um, for the sake of logic, it just doesn't make sense. You go through this trial, you get grilled on both sides, you deny it, the man is dead, you make statements in the media, and then all of a sudden you, you have these issues? I, I, I don't understand that. No, it's and, hard to... It's <laughs> I'm hard hoping to, uh, the jury or the judge sees through all this because it's ridiculous. I agree with you completely. You, 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 nobody could state it better than you have. It is absolutely ridiculous. Well, thank you for your time, Mr. Rezzaro, and thank you, Mrs. Hughes. Nice talking Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. Right. Nice talking to you. Uh, okay. Thank you for the call. Let's go out to area code 631. Please state your name and where you're calling from. 631. Yes, hi. My name is Steve, and I just wanted to um, thank Mr. Mesro for being such a Defending Michael very well and being a good defense attorney. Well, thank and you I was very much. And I'm sorry, I was just wondering, if, if he did he ever make any comments to you about who his real friends were or who he felt his real friends were throughout his life, like Elizabeth Taylor, Debbie Rowe, you know? Well, you know, you, like have to, you have to understand that I met Michael during his his lowest point in his life. I met him in his hour. I met him when he was, you know, facing charges that could have meant that he died in prison. And the charges were very disturbing. You know, being charged with child molestation is worse than being charged with murder. It's just a horrible, horrible allegation. And he wasn't only charged with child molestation, he was charged with providing alcohol to a cancer-stricken child to set him up for molestation. He was charged with conspiracy to falsely imprison a family, to abduct children, to commit criminal extortion. These were horrible allegations. So I met Michael at the darkest hour, and Michael was very suspicious of, of many people who had crossed his path. He felt people were after his catalog. He felt the media wanted to make a fortune on watching him be destroyed and carted off to prison. Um, he... Um, he, he was suspicious of many people who had crossed his path. I don't want to give a bunch of names, um, but the names were very numerous. He didn't know who to trust, who to turn to, who was behind this. 
you know, he was very verbal that he thought Sony was involved, that he thought the effort was to get his catalog, and and um, he had trouble trusting anyone. You know, I, I, you know, in the middle of the trial, he would call Susan Yu, my law partner, who was so important to this acquittal. I mean, she did all the hard work, all the analyzing documents, analyzing witness statements, and she helped me prepare to try this case like nobody could have, and she just, uh, we couldn't have acquitted him without her incredible work. And he would call her in the middle of the night, and he would call me then in the middle of the night, and he was crying, and he would say, you know, you guys are doing so well, please don't let them pay you off. And I would say, Michael, what are you talking about? He said, I know they're going to offer you millions because they want me to go down, and they see that you're doing a great job, and Susan Yu is doing a great job, and they they're going to pay you. I said, Michael, nobody's paying me a dime. This is not the kind of person I am. And I got the feeling he was so used, he was so used to people betraying him. He was so used to, you know, hoping that someone was his friend, and then suddenly they have their hand out, or they're trying to get a project out of him, or they're trying to get money from him. And you know, uh, loneliness unfortunately was a was a major issue with Michael because with all that fame and talent and fortune. Came all the profiteers and the uh, the people who were governed by greed and selfishness and and um, uh, as I've said before, you know, the, the Chris Tucker and Macaulay Culkin, I will never forget because these were two young entertainers, you know, at the height of their fame, you know, wealthy, uh, celebrated wherever they went, and. You know, they had people around them telling them, don't get involved in that trial. Don't help Michael Jackson. He's going down. Your career is going to be tarnished. And they both said to me, you know, separately from each other, that whenever Michael needs us, we're going to be there. We don't care what anybody advises us to do. And I saw managers and lawyers, agents, advising them, don't get involved. And they they didn't care what they said. They were going to help Michael, and they wanted the truth to come out. But, you know, you only find out when you're in trouble who your friends really are. And Michael was devastated about a number of people who just did not, were not there to help him in the way he expected. Now, Liz Taylor was physically ill. She was always supportive, but she was physically ill. Uh, Stevie she Wonder. Was in a wheelchair. Yeah, Stevie Wonder was very supportive. He was ready to run right up. We didn't, I didn't need him as a witness because he hadn't been a witness to any of the actual events that were involved in the trial, as Macaulay Culkin and Chris Tucker had. But those guys, I mean, boy, were they, um, they were just something. I mean, I saw Chris Tucker about uh, a little less than a year ago. I hadn't seen him in a while. and I gave him a big hug, and I told him just what I just said now, that, you know, I'll never forget your loyalty. You know, you could easily have just not gotten involved, and he appreciated it because he stood up for Michael. He was the last witness I called. As I said before, if you're putting on a defense case, you want to start strong and end strong. Sometimes you have witnesses that aren't as strong as others, but you want to start strong and end strong. I began my case with Wade Robson. I ended it with Chris Tucker. And they were very strong witnesses for Michael Jackson. That's why this, you know, Wade Robson's turnaround it just shocked me. Yeah. Well, that was a good um, answer. Excuse me. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What did I, did I interrupt you? I, I apologize. Oh no, that's all right. I was just saying that was a good answer, and I wanted to talk to you for a while, and I'm glad I got through. So. 
Thanks a lot, well, and have a good night. Well, real real honor to talk to you. Thank you very much. Okay, I think this is Boston. Let's go up to 603. Please state your name and where you're calling from. 603, it's your turn. Hello, can you hear me? Absolutely. Oh, great. Um, I have actually a comment for Tom Mezzaro. Um, what is your name, sir? Can you hear me? Yes. What is your name? My name is uh, Michael. Hi, Michael. Calling from? I'm, um, I'm calling from uh, New England, and um, I'm going to be a little bit of a different caller here. I actually believe the um, accusers, Wade Robson and James Papechuk. Um, what bothers me well, is being... Thank you. That was some guy that just uh, wants to believe the accusers. He should go to a different uh, place. So let's go to area code 323. Please state your name and where you're calling from. 323, it's your turn. Please state your name. You're on live with Tom. Okay, Tom. Somebody started out the uh, the comments by saying he believed all the accusers, so I had to let him go. <laughs> well, Not I would tonight. have been happy. I, I would have been happy to have a discussion with him. Uh, I would have been happy to let him know what uh, you know what these people said in the past, and how suddenly when Michael's not around to defend himself, uh, you know they file civil suits looking for money. I mean, I would have been happy to discuss it with them. Yeah, there's a reputation that there's this uh, Internet troll that is trying to get, uh, he opened up a way, and I'm not going to give him that much credit. There's this one person that, you know, all over the net trying to uh, be a Wade Robson supporter and, you know, going under different aliases. So I'm well, not going to give him. It's a free country. We live in a democracy. We have a First Amendment. People have a right to their opinions within certain limits, and uh, they have a right to express them. And, you know, if somebody wants to express a contrary opinion to me, I can talk to them about it. Um, but I think they better right, have but some... The way he, if I know who it is, I think the direction on a night like tonight, it's not called for. Maybe another night, but if, if you know, like you said, it's a free country. It's have every right to say what he wants, but... You know, that's the right to mute him, too. <laughs> Let's go out to 310. 3109, it's your turn. 310, area code. What is your name and where you're calling from? Hi, Jordan. It's Valencia, Mother Diva. I'm calling from the Windy City, Chicago, the birthplace of house music. <laughs> Hi, sweetheart. How are you? I'm fine. I've been patiently waiting. Um Tom, I met you last year at your law clinic. I'm the lady from Chicago that oh. I told you I was battling with this crazy state of Illinois. I'm sure you remember me. I, I told you about how the uh, lottery checks bounce up here. And um, first of all, uh, is uh, is Carrie still on the line, Jordan? Is he still there? Is who? Yes, yes, I'm still here. Okay. Um I have a question for Carrie, but I also have a question for Tom. 
Um, Carrie, what I wanted to know, um, was there any conversations that you might have had with Michael um, regarding um, the situation with his vitiligo or lupus? Because um, he, he, you know, he walked around, people had to, you know, have an umbrella um, to block him from the sun, and a lot of people just thought that that was strange behavior. But I was just wondering, were there any conversations about, you know, maybe if Michael had shared with the world his, you know, skin disease, that people wouldn't have um, been so adamant about saying he was trying to be white and all the things that people were saying, because he told Oprah he did have a skin disease, but a lot of people still thought that the whole umbrella situation was strange. So I was just wondering, did you guys ever discuss that? Um, briefly, we did. Uh, first of all, uh, Tom, thank you for those kind words uh, and that introduction you, you made about me. I, I really appreciate that, and I, you are just amazing. Uh, but to answer your question, Valencia, uh, he did speak to me about that, and uh, Wayne happened to be the, the guy that carried the umbrella for me. And I kind of asked Wayne about it as well, but Michael was very sensitive to sunlight. He did not want to be right. exposed to direct sunlight, and that was the, the uh, it wasn't a weird thing. It was, uh, I, I would assume that his doctor advised him not to be, you know, exposed to direct sunlight. And, you know, whenever we stepped out of that vehicle, uh, especially uh, during that period of time, we had some very beautiful days, but it was very bright, and uh, he didn't want to be exposed to direct sunlight. So that was the need uh, for the umbrella. Right, but my question was, did you all have a conversation in terms of maybe sharing with him if he was to possibly just let people know the reason why he needed the umbrella? Because everyone found, I, I didn't find it strange at all. I, you know, if, you know, I just because I kind of understood the situation, you know, as far as him having vitiligo, and people with vitiligo knew that that was what was happening. So I was just wondering if you had ever discussed with him, you know, sharing it with, you know, the world, what his situation I, I, was. No, I, I never discussed that particular uh, thing with Michael. I, only that I, I know he was, uh, he had discussed with me the need for it, and he was very sensitive to sunlight. But as far as sharing with the world uh, why he carried it, he, he never discussed that with me. But it was definitely okay. a necessity. We We always had to have just as important as the veils were to him with the children being on their faces, uh, he had to have that umbrella as well. Okay, now, Tom, what I want to know from you is because uh, that kooky choreographer, and I'm not going to mention his name because he's not getting free press from me. We all know who he is. Since he has made these accusations uh, and has filed a lawsuit against the estate, uh, isn't that considered perjury? I mean, shouldn't the, the Santa Barbara County or someone try to have him arrested? Because he was a witness for you, and he swore up and down in a court of law, you know, and if you have to swear. So he, then he, if he's lying, then that means he should go to jail for perjury. And why hasn't anybody tried to have him arrested for perjury? He can't have well, it both ways. Well, the the time to prosecute someone for perjury has probably run. Um, and so I don't think 
they would be able to. You know, the statute. I'd have to, the statute for, for per, the statute of limitations. What they call the law that says how much time you have to either prosecute someone for a crime or how much time you have to sue someone in the civil court. And the time has 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 run for that. Um, so. But I also don't think that the prosecutors in Santa Barbara want to even touch this case again. I think they were humiliated so badly. Uh, remember, Michael was exonerated, acquitted of 14 charges. He was originally indicted on 10 felony counts, but at the end of the trial, the judge instructed the jury that along with those 10 felony counts, they could consider what are called four lesser-included misdemeanor counts. And when it came to the last four felonies, if they acquitted him of those felonies, they had to then look at, at what are called lesser-included misdemeanors and render a verdict on them. So they acquitted Michael 14 times, 10 felony counts and four misdemeanor counts. It was a complete humiliation for the prosecutors and the police up in, up in Santa Maria and Santa Barbara County. So I don't think they'd want to touch this case again for anything. Uh, I think it just brings back bad memories of all the money and time they spent um, uh, the way they were humiliated before the whole world, um, and I don't think they'd ever touch the case. But it's probably too late to go after anybody for perjury. Um, uh, I don't think you know Mr. Robson when he testified was one of their favorite people because anyone who testified for the defense, you know, they were upset with. But they're not going to touch this one. They really aren't. Okay, and, you, you and mentioned that before. By the by the way, just to think a little bit about about your question, because my position is he didn't lie on the witness stand. He told the truth. Michael never touched him. My That's position right. is he's not telling the truth now. I believe he didn't perjure himself. I believe he told the absolute truth in that trial in a court of law, in front of a jury of 12 people, in front of a judge. Uh, he took the oath, and he said... Michael had never inappropriately touched him at any time. He even said it was the, the allegations were ridiculous. So my position is there was no perjury. He told the truth. I don't think he's telling the truth now. That's my opinion. Absolutely. Okay, I want to play uh, this clip from uh, the gentleman you just brought up, Mr. Chris Tucker. Let's listen to good old Chris as he talks about his friend. So the movie is really good, and you're really good in the movie, and you're going to all these, because it's nominated uh, for every award, I think, possible. So are you having fun with all the I'm awards? having fun. I'm having fun, because it, it was, all the award stuff is fun. We, uh, oh, man, I can't wait to the Oscars and all that stuff. Um, I have to ask you, you were friends with Michael Jackson, right? Oh, yeah. Y'all oh, hung out. We hung out. We now, hung out. what kind of things did y'all do together? First, um, first of all, I had so much fun. I was just a blessing to be able to know him. I mean, Michael's like Michael's like a king. He was mm. like a modern day king, and we we did a lot of fun stuff. I used to just you know I couldn't wait to hang out with him when, when he had a chance when we had a chance to. But we would go we would do stuff like go to the movies, and Michael was so famous he had to disguise himself. And we would come downstairs. I'd be like, "Where's Michael?" And Michael would be covered up like, "I'm over here, Chris. I'm here." <laughs> Michael, that's you? Yeah, Chris. I thought we were going to the movies. You're not even dressed. I am dressed, Chris. <laughs> I just can't go in the movies. We got to disguise it a little bit. I said, okay. So we go in the movies, and we're thinking, you know, I'm trying to be secret, too. You know, I'm yeah. hiding myself. Then Michael laughing louder than anybody. Everybody knows Michael's laughing. Right. He's like, hee, hee, hee. I was like, Michael, shut up. They're going to find you in here. It's going to be a riot. I knew it was. We 
did one time we we went to a mall. We was out. Michael wanted to go to the record store or something. And he didn't. He forgot he was famous. He was like, I gotta go to the mall. Go to the mall. And we find said, Michael, you can't go in the mall, man. You forgot who you are. He said, Well, let's go. And it was only thing was in the car was was a was a Spider Man mask. So Michael said, I'll put this on. We'll go in and we get. I said, Michael, you can't do that. <laughs> Spider Man ain't gonna just be walking through the mall. Ain't nobody. They gonna know it's you, Michael. He's like, No, he won't. Chris, it'll work. It'll work. We go in the mall, and he was getting away with it until people figured it out, because I was with him, and he yeah. was like, Chris, is that Michael Jackson and that Spider-Man mask? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's Spider-Man. That's Michael Jackson. All of a sudden, the mall went crazy, and they had to scoot us out. You should have seen it. it was oh, a, my God. It was good. We had a lot of fun, though. I heard, he was yeah, great. I yeah, never I had a him. chance to meet him, but I heard he had a great sense of humor, that he, he was a oh, lot of fun. He would laugh at me all the time, because I yeah. would talk, and I guess, he, you know, he just laughed the way I would talk. I was like, hey, Michael, he was like... <laughs> <laughs> You're so country. You're so country. You're so country? Is that hey, what you're talking about? Don't be talking about me. Don't be calling me country. Don't <laughs> talk about me like that. Hey, uh, you're funny. Well, I'm so happy to meet you. You've got to come back again so that I you will. can dance longer, we can talk longer. And uh, yes. I love the movie. Congratulations. Thank you. You picked a good one. You waited a long time, but you picked the right one. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very Silver much. Silver Linings Playbook is currently in theaters. We'll be right back. Okay, Tom, your thoughts on Michael's friend, Chris Tucker. Well, as I said before, Chris Tucker is a wonderful, wonderful person, a man of character. Uh, you only know who your friends are when you're in trouble and find out who's really going to stick up for you when the chips are down, and that's the kind of guy Chris is. So I will go to my grave with total respect for Chris Tucker and Macaulay Culkin, as I said before. Uh, they stood up for their friend when, when he could not have been in more trouble. And when everybody was telling him, it's not good for you to, to support him, they were just, Chris is just the greatest. And you know something, when I was listening to that quote, I just, uh, you know, I was a little envious in a way because I didn't know Michael during a lighthearted time. You know, I, I knew him when, you know, he was facing prison. And uh, I knew him when he was terrified and, and just scared to death of what uh, what this whole process was going to do to him and his children. So I didn't know right. him during a lighthearted time. I saw the, the, the childlike fun Michael uh, on a couple of occasions, you know, um, and Susan, you and Michael and I would laugh on occasion at, at, uh, at some various things that happened. But for the most part, this was serious business, you know, his life was in my hands, uh, you had the uh, the whole power of law enforcement after him, all those sheriffs and DAs and police, and they were working with the FBI, and they were working with Interpol, the International Police Force, and they were loading up everything they could. Seventy sheriffs raided Neverland in November of 2003, you know. Uh, so I met him during his dark disaster. Uh, I met him when he was just terrified, so I didn't have enough opportunity to be lighthearted with him. I, 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 it, must have, it, it must have been wonderful to have known Michael at a time when he was relaxed and joking around and lighthearted. That must have been just terrific. I really didn't have that experience with him for the most part. Yeah, and that was, and that's definitely a shame. Okay, I believe we have a call, call in either out of Germany or the U.K., uh, caller out of state, it's your turn. Please state your name. Caller out of the U.S. Hello? Yes? Yes. You can hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, what is hi. your name here? Um, um, my name is Eve, and I'm calling from Canada, actually. 
I have a couple of questions okay. for Tom. Sure. Go for it. Um, first of all, uh, hi. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Um, it's actually an honor, really. Well, thank um, you. It's nice to talk to you. And uh, uh, I, uh, yeah. I have um, my first question. Um, you may know the answer to this. You may not. But um, there were a couple rumors that I heard that uh, Michael fa- Michael fans, um, some of them were making up that um, he was recording music during this time for the fans and thanking them for their support. Do you know if Michael was recording music during the uh, era of the trial, or was he too busy? Well, I don't really know how to answer that, because, you know, uh, I wasn't with Michael all the time. I was with him Mm -hmm. every day in court. Uh, I was Mm -hmm. sometimes with him after court. Um, uh, If I wasn't with him, I might be on the phone with him in the evening. But... There was a lot of, he had a lot of time at Neverland that I wasn't with him because yeah. I would be preparing for trial the next day. You know, my typical schedule was to go to bed by 8 o'clock and be up at 3. And I would yeah. do about three and a half hours of, of work before I showed up in the courtroom. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'd be talking to Michael on the phone because Michael was someone who was up at that hour. Or he'd be calling yeah. me at 3.30 and 4. So yeah. he may, you know, for all I know, he may have been spending some time in the studio uh, as a mm-hmm. form of relaxation or for whatever. I just yeah. don't know. Carrie would know better than I would. Um, yeah. Carrie, what do you think? Well, I, I think he, he probably was preparing. I, I always saw him working on certain things. Uh, I think uh, that kind of took his mind away from things, like you indicated. It was a very trying time for Michael. But I know he, in certain rooms, had equipment, and at you know a couple of times I did see him working on uh, musical type things. I don't know if it was specifically for fans, but you know his music is so edifying and uplifting. I'm sure the fans would have definitely appreciated it. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. I I heard a couple titles of the songs, and I was just wondering if that's true. Okay. Uh, my second question. Um, I've tried to read court documents multiple times. I guess I'm a little young to understand really what they're saying, but uh, regarding the trial, you said uh, when you start strong, you end strong. And um, I was wondering, do you think you had a chance in the beginning? I mean, I have no doubt, and if I was old enough to understand, I would have no doubt anyways. But um, were you nervous during the trial or in the middle of it, and was Michael nervous? Well, um, uh, first of all, when I got into the case, I didn't know what to think. You know, my approach mm-hmm. to a case is I don't believe anyone at first. I don't believe right. my client. I don't believe the accusers. I don't believe witnesses. My, I approach a case with the idea that I don't believe anybody at the moment. I'm going to approach Start it objectively, clean. and I'm going to figure out myself what I think happened and what I think the defense should be. And one right. thing about Michael, I started talking to him about these allegations, and I started studying him as a person and trying to get an intuitive feel for the kind of person he was. And, you know, pretty quickly I said to myself, I don't believe this person's capable of doing this. They're, they're, they're calling this man a monster. I don't believe him. Um, as I said before, a lot of people remember he was charged with child molestation. They don't remember how horrible these charges were that they were saying that he would take a child with cancer and 
give them alcohol, which can make the cancer even worse, just to soften them up for perversion, for child molestation, that, that he would falsely imprison a family, that he would commit criminal extortion. Um, uh, I mean, these charges were just awful. Um, and it didn't take me very long in talking to him to say to myself, this doesn't make a lot of sense. It just doesn't seem like this guy is capable of this kind of thing. And then the more I dug into the evidence, you know, the documents, the statements, you know, the, um, yeah. the way the prosecutors had, uh, present, were going to present their case, uh, I just said to myself, something's wrong here from A to Z. However, yeah. the whole world thought we were going to lose. I mean, the whole world thought, you know, you can't win that case. If this is a, a courthouse with a very high conviction rate, very conservative people. Uh, yeah. They've thrown resources at him that are monumental. They've got the media mm-hmm. behind them trying to, trying to condition and influence the jury. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of people thought we didn't have a chance. Uh, when I really had looked at this evidence, I thought we had a good chance. But we had to yeah. overcome that. We had to overcome public opinion. We had to overcome, you know, the fact that the media was doing everything they could to see him convicted. Because oh, right, right. It would make a great story for them to have someone reach yeah, the, the press, height. Yeah, the press was always against that. Yeah. So, um, and plus, just the, uh, the just the charges alone really bother people. You know, really bother mm-hmm. people. We had to be very careful in uh, how we approached it, uh, what jury we picked, uh, and how we strategized the case. Um, right. But. but that, that's how I approached it. But I, I just have to tell you, when I looked at how awful these charges were and I started studying mm-hmm. this person and just getting a feel for him, I would, I would walk out of our meeting and say, it just it doesn't seem like this guy's capable of this. But something's wrong here, you know. Yeah. And something's wrong. They were false charges. They were malicious false charges. For money. You know, and now your question, was he nervous? Very nervous. Of course he was. He yeah. was very Listen, Michael was a very sensitive, kind, delicate, creative spirit. You know, Uh he wasn't. He only wanted to be nice. He only wanted to be nice and spread love like that. He was kind. He was gentle. He was caring, and and he was creative. He wasn't built to sit in a courtroom for five months, five days a week. Hearing people claim he was a monster, he wasn't built for that, and it took a terrible toll on him. Terrible. Of course. Um, well, thank you, for, uh, thank you. Thank you for talking to me, Mr. Mezro. Um, I'm happy for all that you did for Michael, and you're a very good uh, defender. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you very much. It was an honor to speak. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank Bye-bye. you so much for calling. We no appreciate problem. your call. Okay, let's go over to 218. Please state your name and where you're calling from. 218, it's your turn. Hi, um, Lynette, and I'm calling from Minnesota. And my question to Tom is more about um, the Martin Bashir interview that Michael agreed to. And I was just wondering if you could tell people why he agreed to do that. My understanding is that Mr. Bashir uh, continually tried to approach him, and my understanding was always that Mr. Bashir had written a book 
about Princess Diana, and Michael had great affection for Princess Diana. He really, really liked her. He liked the fact that she wasn't willing just to sit back and enjoy her wealth and fame, that she wanted to help the world. She wanted to go to Africa and help starving children. She wanted to help children who were victims of landmines that exploded in Eastern Europe. And she really wanted to, she, she wanted to be different from the, uh, the, the group she was part of, the royal group in England. And she, he really admired her and liked her. And um, uh, the fact that she would trust Martin Bashir to write a biography about her um, convinced Michael that he would be trustworthy. And as you know, we know, it was a disaster, um, an absolute disaster. And Bashir did that interview, and uh, Michael was smart enough to have his own videographer at every interview. And that made a big difference in the trial because the prosecution you know, got the judge's permission to play that interview, one version of it. I believe it was the British version, uh, which the judge thought was a little less inflammatory than the American version. And uh, we had tried to get from Mr. Bashir's company the footage that wasn't included, and they wouldn't give it to us. But because Michael had the foresight to have his own videographer there, we had the portions that were not included. And when the prosecution played their version of the um, interview, we were able, in our case, we got the judge's permission to play the outtakes that had not been included. And, you know, Mr. Bashir did not look too good. When you put together the statements he made in the edited documentary with some of the statements he made in the footage that wasn't included, he looked pretty bad. And also... You know, there were portions that were not included where Michael said he would slit his wrists before he would hurt a child. And, and he denied, you know, all of these, these false charges. Um, I, I don't think very much of Mr. Bashir. Um, you know, the day Michael died, uh, I was in court. Uh, my partner, Susan, you and I were trying a, a federal criminal case in downtown Los Angeles. And uh, I came out of the courthouse and was told that Michael had passed away, and I was hoping it was a rumor um, because he was always being subjected to false rumors. And I called my office, and one of the first messages was from Mr. Bashir where he made a statement that he'd never meant to hurt anyone. He said he had great respect for me and felt terrible that Michael had passed away and left his number, and, of course, I never called it. Um, I, have contempt for, I have contempt for Mr. Bashir for what he did to Michael, but, you know, um, uh, that really started this whole case rolling. You know, the, the fallout from that horrible show uh, is what really got the prosecution, in my opinion, got the prosecution in Santa Barbara and the police interested in putting together a criminal case. And he oh, I do, first, too. He was their first witness. The first prosecution yeah. was Martin Bashir. Mm-hmm. I've and seen the portion uh, stated by his lawyer and uh, mm-hmm. try to answer questions, i.e., uh, uh, the uh, detective Martin <laughs> from OJ. He had his own lawyer there at present, counsel of uh, Tom. Uh, say that again, uh, Jordan. I didn't hear the whole the whole statement you made. He had his own lawyer instructing him not to answer some of your questions. I remember you telling me. Is that accurate? He had a very high-priced, very well-known lawyer 
from a big law firm in downtown Los Angeles who was instructing him not to answer most of my questions. And he was using what, what is called a journalistic privilege. Uh, there's a, uh, just like, you know, a client can talk to an attorney and you can't get the attorney to say what uh, the client said. It's called privileged. It's protected from disclosure. There's also a journalistic privilege where if a journalist talks to some, you know, what they discuss can be protected from disclosure. So he had his attorney instructing him to assert the journalistic privilege um, and uh, not to answer, and he looked terrible. He really did. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to area code 425. Please state your name and where you're calling from. It's your turn. Area code 425, you're next. Hello? Yes. Hi. Hello, Yvonne. Um, this is Natalie. Name and your... Hi, Natalie. Natalie Barnes. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Washington, hi, the United States. Hi. Okay, hi. You have a question for Tom. Hi, it's just it's an honor to talk to you. Um <laughs> I was wondering, like, the things the prosecution did, like falsifying evidence, like can't you go to jail for that? Well, uh, there were a lot of people following the case who thought the prosecution had tampered with evidence. And what I think you're referring to is that in the grand jury room, uh, there was a belief that um, uh, Gavin Arvisa was allowed to touch some magazine uh, and get his fingerprints on them. And then... Um, during the trial, part of the prosecution's case was built on the fact that his fingerprints were on these magazines because the allegation was that Michael had showed him these, you know, Playboy-type magazines. The prosecutor was claiming he showed it to him as a, as a way to sort of warm up for, you know, molestation. That was the idea. Um, so that was, that was an allegation that the judge didn't accept. Um, oh, as far as falsifying evidence, that was the only allegation I remember at this point, was the question of where did Arvizo's fingerprints, uh, how did they get on the magazine? Yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, okay. can, can you get prosecuted for tampering with evidence? Absolutely. You can be prosecuted for obstruction of justice, for evidence tampering. Uh, that, that can be a serious felony if it's proven. Well, so the the judge didn't accept it, and that's why no charges were brought? That didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that didn't go anywhere, the allegation. Oh, but certainly, certainly it was something that we raised. All right. That, uh, that prosecutor was out for blood based on all yeah. this that has come out. Well, yeah, I'll tell you, just... they, they threw every resource they could find. I mean, when the FBI reports came out, you know, with three or four years ago, uh, you see a lot of uh, meetings with the prosecutors from Santa Barbara. They're flying across country, meeting with the FBI agents. Um, I mean, the resources they threw at this, I mean, look, I mean, when, when they go after someone, you know, suspected of murder, they don't have 70 sheriffs raid their home. I mean, this was an all-out assault on Michael Jackson. They were determined to put him behind bars. What a waste of money. I agree with you completely. Absolutely agree with okay, you. Okay, anything else, Patsy? 
No, I just wanted to stop by. Sorry it's so awkward. I just don't know what to say. Well, it's very nice to talk to you. You're nice to call. And it's a very, very, uh, very important question you asked. Thank you. It was nice talking with you, Tom Mez. Same here. Thanks right. for the call, Natalie. Okay, Tom, what I want to do is uh, play uh, Miss Celine Dion as she talks about the great Michael Jackson and get your thoughts on the other Very stuff. busy, so let's talk about your Michael Jackson tribute at the Grammys, really. That was fun. It was, it, it was a very awkward and very emotional feeling for, I think, all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, sincerely, I've had the privilege of um, being an amazing... I mean, I was a, I've been a big fan. Mm-hmm. I'm still a big fan of Michael Jackson. When I was, like, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, I remember the, the ceiling of my bedroom was on an angle like this, mm-hmm. and I remember having Michael's posters in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Those little Afro posters of him, yeah. I had them too. I always thought I was going to yeah. marry Jackie Jackson, actually. Yeah. Well, I didn't go that far. Okay, good. I, <laughs> I, I, I thought as a French-speaking person that maybe I should learn English just in case that I would be maybe on stage with him one day. Really? So Michael was a big influence for me to learn English language. Yes. Second of all, I said if I can be in show business and sing, Maybe I'll get to sing with him. So anyway, I went to school to learn English. I met with him. I sang with him. He came to Vegas to see my show. So the Grammys for me was um, a very um, difficult emotion because I wanted, I was very honored uh, when Kenner asked me to be part of it. It was not a, I mean, a thinking of a decision mm-hmm. for me. I was there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was mad that he was no longer with us. And I wanted so much to make sure that his message that he was believing in so much, that was going to be heard. And I think all of us, we didn't really want to perform. We just wanted to carry his message. Mm -hmm. And I was very honored that I was part of it. I I will always love Michael Jackson very much. And when I saw his movie, you know, at one point, whatever we see in newspaper, whatever we hear on the radio, we we take some and we leave a lot. But even sometimes we take some, even us in show business. And I thought at one point that Michael was was sick. And I said, you know, it's not fair to go through this, being sick like that. But when I saw the movie, I was very mad because he was on top shape. And I was very mad that he's yeah, no longer talking about this is it. Yeah. Yeah, when you see that movie, yeah. you feel the loss so deeply. I was you. very, yeah, very... Well, after the Grammys, Celine got together with 80 other artists. You all have heard about this, right? to record a new version of We Are the World, uh, led by my friend Quincy uh, Jones, a song Michael Jackson actually helped to write. Who all was there and what was that like? It was crazy. It was wonderful at the same time. It was just like uh, seeing everybody gathering to make a difference because, um, you know, life imposed things to us. Um, Disease, sickness, Mm -hmm. terrible tragedies, Mm -hmm. earthquakes. It's not something that you decide, and no one in the world deserves that. And yes, we are extremely sad, but it is our responsibility to all of us artists Mm -hmm. who can use our voice for any way, TV, effort, money, anything, together, and say, let's get together. Did it feel magical? 
did it feel, yes, you know, and, and like a lot of people everybody said the first time? Yeah. that they said, you seemed that you, you were enjoying our, yourself. And I said, yes, we did. Mm -hmm. Because it's not time to walk our head down and say, it's so tragic. It did happen. It happened. Now it's time. We've got to lift them up. We've got to lift them up. We've got to lift them up and not forget. And not forget. Tom, uh, Celine Dion, very well respected. Your thoughts on what she had to say about the King of Pop? Well, I, I, I mean, she said some wonderful things. I mean, um, she's able to look through all the attacks, the false attacks, the uh, the efforts to exploit him with uh, with tabloid, you know, reporting, and uh, she realizes just what a beautiful person he was, what an inspiration he was, what an artist he was, what a what a mark he left on the planet that nobody can erase. And there were, those were very beautiful, heartfelt words from a fellow artist. Uh, I'm very happy you, you played them. Yes, and I do got one more before we let you go, and that's from Beyonce about Michael Jackson. Exactly. See where it pays off is, is beautiful. But, um, what about the, the performances of the Grammys? It was the Lady Gaga's and then Pink doing her Cirque du Soleil and the Michael Jackson tribute. My favorite moment was the Michael Jackson tribute. Have you seen yourself yet during that? I, I, they just told me they had a shot of me. There's, during the tribute, there's a, a, like the camera goes to you and it almost looked like you were praying. Like you, you were like spiritually connected to those kids on the stage and, and, and also during the song. I don't know if you guys remember Beyonce and she was like, yeah. and I was like, wow, what was going through your, your head? Because it almost looked like it was a spiritual outer body. Well, I definitely felt Michael's presence mm -hmm. and to hear his voice, you could just imagine how it would have been if he was there. Mm -hmm. So it was really emotional for me and everyone in the crowd mm -hmm. and to see his children and the strength and elegance yep. they have, it was just, I, I, I was praying, like, you can do it, you can get through this, and I just had so much admiration for those children. Yeah. Have and, you ever met him? Family. Yeah, I've yeah. met him a few times, and I'm so happy I got to tell him on numerous occasions how much he impacted my life. Yeah. And I honestly will not, I would not have been any, anything that, I mean, any amount of success that I had, I wouldn't have had without Michael without Jackson. I, he's taught me so much and my family so much. Really? So, you know, I'm happy I was able to tell him what did while he, he say? was here. You know, he's very humble. Yeah. He was always very humble. Say, with love. Did yes. you see the movie, uh, This Is It? Yes, I, I learned, was in tears I learned from bawling. him too. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, you are the, the CEO of your business. Right. I'm the CEO of mine. And we have to tell people to do things and stuff. And he would say, can you change that light? With love, L O V E. With love, L O V E. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, your thoughts on Beyonce? Uh, she had a performance in the Grammys back a couple of years ago, and that was what was that clip from? Oh, wonderful words. You know, I saw this is it three times, and uh, I could keep seeing it uh, if I had the time to. I mean, it's uh, uh, Michael was magic. He was magic. He was kindness. He was generosity, he was sensitivity, he was great artistry. All of this rolled into one person. Um, and he just was not content to be a success. He had to help heal the world. He had to help people in distress. He wanted children to, uh, to find love and direction, you know, where uh, they may not have it otherwise. And he was just a, a one of a kind. 
And I think all of us who have the the honor and privilege of meeting him and understanding what kind of a person he really was feel blessed. You know, he left blessings everywhere. He just did. And um, these Absolutely. artists who uh, you have quoted, uh, they've summed it up very well. We're all privileged and honored to have crossed his path. We're privileged and honored to have known this uh, very special human being. And um, um, his artistry and his kindness, his spirituality, his generosity, his magic uh, will live for a long time, let me tell you. No doubt about it. Tom, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Uh, you always live up to your word. You are one of a kind. And uh, congratulations again on getting that award. Well deserved. And thank you uh, having you. Thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, best of luck. It's a great show, and you really you really go an extra effort, Jordan, to, uh, to, to, to just spread the message that this was a very special, kind, unique human being uh, who often was unfairly attacked and unfairly exploited. And uh, you, more than, than anyone else I can think of in the media, have made an extra effort to do your research, do your homework, to, uh, to spread the word. So congratulations to you and to all the callers and all the listeners who love Thank Michael you. Jackson, you're all special people. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you, Kerry Anderson. You're quite welcome. Thank you, Tom. Okay. Uh, now we're gonna... Good luck to Geraldine, too. Yeah, I think Geraldine is still on. You can say hello to her. I'm going to bring in the nurse now. Nurse Sherilyn Lee, are you here? Yes, I am, and it's a pleasure to be here. Okay. Tom, thank you for joining us. Uh, you want to say hello to Miss Nurse Lee? I think yes. you know who she is, right? Yes, we've spoken before. Very nice to talk to you. How you been? It's very wonderful, and you've been such a blessing in my life. I, I just want to thank you so much publicly oh. here so the world can hear you. You were very wonderful during the time of what I was going through, and you were there for Michael, and he's just a wonderful person. Um, well, thank Attorney you. Attorney Tom Nesbrough, you're, you're a wonderful person, and I'm honored to have met you also. Thank you very much. Same here. Honored to meet you. And, uh, you know, you were put in a very difficult position, and uh, uh, you handled yourself very graciously and uh, very honorably, and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Um, she was put on the defense list, and... Uh, People think that's automatically you're uh, you're on with that side, but that's not always the case in law, right? No, no not at all. As a matter of fact, I was very upset about that. So, well, Tom, they, just you because you called the defense doesn't mean you're our defense. You are a true defense witness, and and favoring them. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, lawyers have different strategies for winning a case. And a lawyer will put together their own version of the evidence, their own, they'll, they'll weave it into a story to tell the jury. And, uh, you know, sometimes witnesses are a mixed bag. They, they have some things that help you and some things that don't. And uh, lawyers can put whoever they want on their list. Prosecutors will sometimes put people on a list. They don't intend to call them, but they don't want them watching the trial. And witnesses are excluded usually from watching a trial, so they'll put them on the list for that reason. Defense lawyers will put people on a list for a particular reason, too. So what you said, Jordan, is correct. 
Yeah, yes, but that's exactly what happened because they had they had no reason, uh, and they were asked by an attorney why did they call me, and they said, oh, we just want we just want to be the first ones to call you. That's it. They had no reason. They never spoke to me. Never spoke to me at all. Yeah. Yep. And it, it they was didn't really even pathetic. Um, What's that now? But uh, yeah, no. Go ahead, nurse. Wait. You want want to say? Oh said. yes. No, I was just saying that I had never spoke to the uh, defense attorneys at all. Uh, first time I saw them in person was in the court um, the day of the trial. But um, you know, you would think someone would call you if you're going to subpoena them, that you will call them at least, and verbally see them eye, you know, eye to eye and speak with them, but they did not do that. But, you know, I'm so glad that that is behind me and um, because that was a very stressful time in my life, and I'm glad that is behind me uh, with that situation with them. Well, uh, Tom, once again, I uh, appreciate you joining us. And uh, thank you for the beautiful, kind work. Thank you, uh, Andrew. Best of luck to everyone. Okay? What's that? Best of luck to everyone. I'm going to have to leave. I've got to getting ready for a trial. So best of luck to everyone. And uh, Thank you very much. And next time you're here, we'll talk about Michael Jackson. Right, Mark? Tell me you wanted to talk about that. Next time you're on, we'll talk about Michael Jackson. Inc., the new book. Everybody sure. should Google that, right? Is that very, is that what you love? Very interesting book about the Michael Jackson's business savvy, about his business mind. Very good book. Oh, wonderful. Okay, just okay. came out a couple of months ago. All right, listen, best yeah. of luck there. Thanks so much. Okay. Okay, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Carrie. Thank so, you. Nurse Lee, how are you? I'm truly blessed, and it's uh, truly blessed and honored to be here also. No you have, question. You have a uh, great, great lineup of guests, and I was just listening to the show. Well well put together. I've been listening for the last 10 minutes or so. Very nice. Very nice to be done. Yes. This is months and months of preparation, and I want to thank you. I want to thank uh, Geraldine Hughes, who we had him on. Actually, let me see if she's still here. We'll bring her into the conversation. Geraldine, are you still here? Are you still with us, Geraldine? I pumped you up. I put your number up. Are you still there? Okay. We had Geraldine Geraldine before. Uh then I know you guys are friends. But uh yes, we, know, so. we, we do know each other, yes. <laughs> She uh, actually two years two years ago she was straight. she came in pardon I wanted you to set the record straight about the drug thing you felt Michael was not a drug addict you felt he was just sleep deprived right Can yeah you yes and this is this is one reason why I um, uh, said what I did no nine when uh, when the, the first pat when we first found out he had passed. And it was so strong in the media that he had died of drugs, and during the time they had did the autopsy and could not find, um, they could not find drugs per se, considering, you know, they said, you know, things were going on with his health. 
But, you know, and I said, you know, I knew from working with him and spending many, many hours and days and nights with him that he was not a drug addict. You know, insomnia is very, very serious. It's a very serious condition with a lot of people. And that's what I saw. I saw in, in later on in the months of working with him that this, this is a person who really is seeking to sleep. Unfortunately, it was something that, you know, a lot of people have had, and um, he had had it because he had surgery, but, you know, it's not something we use for sleep. But a drug addict, no, no. He would never have walked around his children or, walked, you know, been intoxicated around his children. That's something that was not Michael's personality. Just a warm, loving human being and, I mean, so caring. I couldn't believe how humble he was when I met him. I was just at awe and um, was told he did not want to be treated that way as, as a patient. He just wanted to be treated like a regular person. So I knew that going in, so, um, and that's what I do with people anyway, because most people, if they're seeking your help on another level, they're not looking for someone with stardom you know, in their eyes and, you know, doing all kind of other things. So he was my patient, but he became a wonderful friend. It is the same thing I even tell people when they come to the clinic. When you come into my office, you become part of our family. And I feel that way when I see people, when I go to their home, I want them to feel comfortable with me. But I felt so comfortable with him, I thought it was going to be the other way around. But I was so comfortable with him because he makes you feel that way. Um, you're very relaxed, you're very comfortable, sense of humor, just wonderful. Drug addict, no. I worked in chemical dependency for years, um, and that was not, he did not have the behavior nor the attitude or ask for drugs. You know, people really, it really bothered me. On the second trial, I had a chance to voice what I felt about this, and I was very upset about it because, you know, I was telling the um uh, the, the attorney doing the second trial, that, you know, um, people can go out and seek medical care. If you were going to look for a dentist or seek um, a pediatrician for your child or you're looking for some, an obstetrician to live, deliver your child, uh, deliver your baby, you're going to ask people, you're going to call around, you're going to check around, you're going to do everything you can for the consultation that you need for yourself, for your life, for your health. If you have um, glycoma, if you have cataracts, you're going to look for the best ophthalmologist. You know, you're going to seek around for the best. Nobody's going to want the worst doctor out there for their condition. You know, I've been in two comas. I've been a patient a lot of my childhood life. And so I'm always, you always want to seek the best dermatologist if you have a skin problem, uh, which I did as a child. You're going to look for the best. And I'm glad my mom did that for me. But with Michael Jackson, they want to call it doctor shopping, which was sad. No, you're looking for the best person to help you with your insomnia problem, not doctor shopping because you're a drug addict. And it's so unfortunate and so unfair that that happened. So that isn't what I saw. That's why I had to step out to say something. I went through a lot to do that, but right is right. And what I felt in my heart, I had to do. And I felt if it was reversed, the same would have been done for me. Because, number one, I'm not a drug addict. 
and I know if someone knew the true cause that something were to happen to me, they would step out and say, this is what really what, what was happening. This is really the situation. And that's what I saw, a person with insomnia. And that's when things sort of shifted when I said something in, in 09, um, you know, a few days or so after, and then things shifted to insomnia. But before then, it was just drug addicts. So I am just grateful and so thankful that I had a chance to do this, and I'm still here alive to talk about it um, because there's a lot of things that happen for coming forward to tell the truth, but the truth will set you free. Absolutely. And you do have a book coming out. Are you working on or is that? What's the story? Actually, the book is finished, and it's an audio book. Um, it's something I've been working on, actually, for the last, oh, my goodness, 15 years or longer. And a lot of people were saying, you know, a lot of people who knew I was working on this book for the last 15 years really thought it was never going to happen. And so because I was so busy working and um, in, in my practice and uh, during that time, too, my mom was quite ill and working with her, um, I didn't really have time to really sit down and, and write a book. So there, there was this wonderful, calming voice that came over me one night and said, you need to have the book as an audio book because I work with so many people and people sometimes need to hear of the voice and not so much the reading because you can say, forgive me or I love you on so many levels reading it but not when you actually hear it. And forgiveness is a chapter in the book that is very, very powerful. And um, so the book is finished. It's entitled Written Before I Was Born. And i just like to tell you, I wanted a song um, in the same title of the book. And so the song is Written Before I Was Born. I'm not going to tell you the whole song because I wrote uh, the, the, um, the hook. I found out now it's called a hook. <laughs> I'm not a music person, but it's entitled, the hook is, Written Before I Was Born, Destiny Had to Conform to a Path I Had Already Won Before I Was Born. And to me that is so powerful, and I'm so glad those words formulated based on the title of the book and the person singing the song is just uh, an amazing uh, a vocalist that's singing the song. I had some wonderful people that came on board to help me with the, the, the development of this project. I mean, it was truly orchestrated in a project, not knowing that this is what it was going to be, um, because the music, one of the uh, Grammy uh, engineers worked with me in the studio, and then one of my patients who owned the studio said, just come on over here and just, just get it done. So I had some incredible people that came on board um, my uh, a relative of mine, uh, Debbie Williams, came on board initially when I started, and she was just amazing in helping me just sit down and and, met, and carve out the chapters. I mean, wonderful. And so I, I just have some wonderful people that was involved in this journey. Too many to name right now, but just wonderful people that was there um, in 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 the whole coming together of the book. Um, John. Uh, Nettlesby was the engineer who worked with Michael in the past. He was just wonderful with me, and um, I felt myself putting him to sleep during this whole putting this book together. He said, 
so I turned it into an audio book with an interview. So it was more interactive, and it just turned out wonderful. And the lady who, who did that component is an actress, and she was just able to follow my bullets and just ask the questions that I had already written out for the book. And there's four D- CDs, the, the book, and the fifth CD is actually a meditation that goes through the body for people with insomnia, people with any kind of chronic illnesses, or people who just want to feel good the next day. So it is a meditation, detox the mind, the body will heal. But we have to detox our mind of negative thought patterns and different things from the day and just letting go of all those hurtful moments, just letting go and just let let God just sort of enter and, and go through a healing journey. It's beautiful music that, that, that was designed for this. And it's just wonderful. And it's something I used to use and something I use now because in life we're always going through. We're going through. I mean, we get through it, but it's just part of life. It's part of my journey. This is why the title of the book is written before I was born. And part of my life journey was meeting the magical and the mystical. I mean, just the wonderful, kind human being, Michael Jackson. So there is a chapter in there, a very short, probably the shortest chapter because I was not writing a book, trying to write a book about him because, you know, the one thing I don't like to put out the wrong type of message where a person would think, oh, she's writing a book about him, trying to make money, and that's something that's far beyond. This book starts with my childhood life. It also talks about me being in two comas, uh, the first coma where I went to hell, and the second coma, which was about, uh, 15 or so years later where I actually was in a coma where I went to heaven. And it talks about the, the journey of going through life. So it starts with my childhood all the way up to 2011. Um, so part of my journey was meeting Mr. Jackson and uh, Michael Jackson, and I was so privileged to meet such a kind person. And, and, you know, it makes me feel good to know. You see him on TV, you hear the music, you hear his music all the time, but to know that I actually had a chance to tuck him into bed, <laughs> it's amazing sometimes when I think about it. Uh, that I can't believe I actually tucked him into bed, you know, I just and just sat there and watched him. And he's just a peaceful, kind person with no malice in his heart. And that's something we had discussed, just a forgiving heart. I have never met an artist um, to that to that level that had such a loving, forgiving heart, and it just emanated. And even has met a couple of people that he went to the hospital. They seek me out just to, just to want to hug, and I'm a huggy person. I love to hug, and just wanted to hug and say thank you for being that warm, loving person that was there with him because that's who I am. Anybody who knows me know that, and I hug, and we know people who know me, we hug heart to heart. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I think we have a caller. Let's go to area code 507. It's your turn. Please state your name and where you're calling from. Hello, Jordan. It's me, Nick. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Well, right ahead, first Nick. of all, I was, I was on hold for an hour, and I just wanted to say, you know, I was sitting here in my chair listening to her, and I have to say, you know, thank you for those very kind words. You know, I couldn't have said it more, but, you know, I miss Tom, you know, but what I wanted to ask him was, you know, the Martin Bashir outtakes, there are so much outtakes 
footage. Yeah. And Michael, you know, he's happy. You know, he's, there's one where he's talking about happiness and loneliness, and Martin's all fake. You know, he's all talk. He's like, oh, yeah, Michael. Oh, yeah, I feel bad for you. But, you know, and there's a couple times, too, where Michael punches the camera that he's mad at Martin when Martin makes a joke and it's not funny. And backstage on some award show, Martin was there, and Martin made a nasty comment about MJ, and MJ just punched, pretending, punching him in the face, saying, you know what, you need to be quiet. So, you know, but I wanted to ask Tom that, but, you know, it's just what an amazing show, and I'm very blessed to be on here. You know, it's just amazing. You bring up a very valid point. You you know, uh, Mike did have his own cameras, and Nurse uh, Lee, uh, Dr. Lee, I'm sure you heard about the uh, the evil man named Martin Bashir who uh, betrayed Mike uh, yeah. on that yeah. stupid documentary. Um, yeah, it's just crazy but, uh, how many outtakes. I mean, that that Martin uses him. And then in the footage we have in the stupid documentary, he uses him. But in the outtakes, everything is happy, and that's what they should have put on the documentary. And he just led Michael to think he was his best friend. And just like everybody else, you know, they used him. And it makes me sad and angry, you know. But uh, what are you going to do? Well, take, take a deep breath because I feel the same <laughs> way. And he, if Michael was here, he would tell you, just take a deep breath. And yep. Just move, just move on. It's, it's something he said that I thought was so powerful that these people down here are like little baby chicks just chirping away with their gossip and this and that. And he said, you don't have time if you soar with the eagle. Yep, and I, you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, where I live, you know, saying, you know, what if you knew Michael Jackson, what would you do? And I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. I have all of his music. I'm a music MJ junkie. But to be honest with you, if if Michael Jackson wanted me to be his friend, I'd be his friend. I'd help him through times. I'd be there for him. If he needed help, I'd be there. I wouldn't ask him about his music or being on stage. I would just ask him about, you know, life. I mean, children, you know, what he loved, you know, talking to him, listening to him, because that's all he really wanted. And he had very few friends that did that. And you're, and you're echoing exactly what my relationship was with him. That's why we spent so much time together, because I wasn't there to ask him all those questions and this award, because I was there during the time of the 25th anniversary um, of Thriller, when all yeah. this stuff was coming to his house. And he just stacked it up, and he, he was happy to see all, all the things coming in, but we didn't sit down like I have a whole night of discussion about all that. He was happy, yep. yes, he was very happy. He was very pleased and he was very honored that so many people took the time to send him all these gifts. He was very happy yep. and very honored. But to just sit there and just do all that, no. So, you know, and that's what kind of relationship we had. I was, you know, we had a relationship like I would have with family. You know, and a family member that you love and a family member that you're concerned about. And this is why I took the time to explain certain things and this is why you want to do this and this is why he looks so great. I mean, in March, he was in the media and they said, wow, we've never seen him look this good. Yeah, I was massaging his hands and massaging his arms with certain oils and, and, and you know, the only thing he would not let me do is massage his feet. And I'm like, come on, Michael, let me massage your feet. Let me put this wonderful shea butter and have some other, um, wonderful oil in it. Let me massage your feet. I said, look, I'm a health care practitioner. I'm a nurse practitioner. I've worked in every arena there is. There's nothing I haven't seen. Come on, let me just massage your feet. And he was like, no, 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 I'll do it myself. I was like, come on, let me do this. But, you know, um, it was only private with his feet. So <laughs> um, yeah. he was 
an incredible person, and I'm telling you, uh, I believe how he would take the time to just ask questions because a lot of times he would call me and I would say, you know, I'm on my way to see if this very ill. Um, can I see you tomorrow or the next day? And he would say, sure, sure. I just wanted to see, you know, how you got what was going on. Vitamin C IV therapy is amazing. It is an amazing mm-hmm. treatment, and I love so much treatment therapy. And you just feel, you know, to add those extra I, um, micro. I am actually familiar with that. My mother had that. My mother had treatment, and she passed away a year ago. But she had treatment for pain, and that's I think that's what the her pediatricians used on her too. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. aware of that. Yeah. So and that and that's what he he enjoyed it. I mean, I do too because of, you know, just your everyday stress and it has your B vitamins. So, and it's yeah. water soluble. So, and it works really well. So he will call. And, but the thing about it, when I would see him the next visit, would ask me, he would always ask me, he would take the time, how is that patient you want to go see? Do they need my help? You know, yeah. nobody else did that. No one else did that. And I would say, you know what, they're doing much better. Because we had a big joke about hyperbaric chambers, you know, and, um, and, and, and you know, yeah. I can't go on to that right now, but we just had a really nice, long talk about hyperbaric chambers. But, um, <laughs> it, but we, we had so many discussions that was just wonderful, and we watched movies together while he was having his IVs, and just, you know, day and night, you know. And, and like mm-hmm. I said, he would call sometimes, I think he would call just, to just want to talk or come by and, you know, just to sit there to have somebody who's not asking him for something, not trying to use him. You know, I, I wanted him to feel comfortable. Nobody was going to tape him. Nobody was going to do anything out of, the, out of the norm around him. But, you know, just caring people. And only per- people I would see when I was around him was his children. And loving and caring and orderly household with his children, just wonderful. You know, and you make a good point about the feet. And the reasons why I don't think MJ wanted his feet massages because he did. I heard from stories that he did. He massaged his own feet over the years because they were his dancing feet. And in personal light, with nobody was around, he would dance. Even in 2008 and 2009, you know, visits at rehearsals, he would still massage his feet on his own and prepare himself to dance and stuff. Do you think that is the reason why? I I really don't know, and um, I don't like to assume. But um, some people, you know, parts of their body, they don't want anybody massaging or looking at. And sometimes people have a complex about their feet, you know. Um, So I kind of thought it was more that because, you know, usually the cuticles would be kind of, you know, a little ragged because that's why I used the shea butter and some other things and it was all cleared up. Like I said, in March, you know, he actually put his hand toward the camera, if you see his hand was absolutely wonderful, but he's had his hands toward the cameras before. But he was feeling great. He was feeling wonderful. Like I said, the media even made a comment well, on how I want to looked. thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, you, you, you ended what was a wonderful tribute to the king of pop uh, right here. So thank you so much for calling into the show. Uh, like I said, we ended off with a blast with you. And uh, this is the fifth anniversary of the King of Pop. So uh, I like to, you know, 
wherever Mike is, I hope he's resting comfortably now. You agree? No, he, he is. I know he is. Thank you, dear. We will have you on again. And, okay, uh, and thank you we'll have very you much. You, yes, you've done and, a lot of work. And uh, people, uh, your Facebook is Cheryl and Lee. They could go right there, just the way it's spelled. No, right? or, you can, or you can go to MJ's Nurse, and it's Nurse Practitioner. So, uh, But it's MJ's Nurse on Facebook or the book written before I was born. Uh, there is a website for that, um, and there is a Facebook picture for that too. So, you know, go and, go and like us, and um, you'll see some other things happening there too. But just a wonderful, and I am so honored. I'd I like to end this on something that I had given to uh, Mr. Jackson, to, to Michael Jackson. And actually, it, unfortunately, it was brought out in the trial. And so I'm going to end in saying this. Um, and actually, I would love for you to repeat it after me. Everybody who knows me know I say this. And I wear this button based on um, Sheila and Denise. But please repeat this after me. I am. Repeat I it am. after me. I am so grateful. So grateful. That I am. That I am. A magnet for miracles. A magnet for miracles. Yes, and this is something I had given to him that actually, Mr. Jackson, that he had placed on his mirror that actually came out during the trial, uh, the second trial. I am so grateful that I am a magnet for miracles. And Michael and I were talking. I said, well, this is something kind of a mantra. I'm just blessed every day and start out my day being grateful because grateful. And he knew, and we talked about the word grateful and the I am. And he was just an incredible person to sit down and have a talk with. Just incredible. So, again, I want to thank you, um, Mr. Jordan. Um, thank you so much for yes. this opportunity. And thank you for you all of your back. labor of love. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very this much. Okay. Time. Okay. Thank you so much. Let's play Have a, a welcome. So, so good. Yes. Have a great one, uh, Nurse Lee. Have a happy summer. Thank you very much. God bless you. Okay. Bye-bye. This song is dedicated to you. Take a listen. Love never felt so good by the king of pop. Also go to Luna, show 67. She has the video of the, uh, all the, uh, old, uh, Tom Nazarelli views and things like that.
Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.